Matthew 13, 44. Here we go. The Jesus kind of a life. Here's the text. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Stay with me now. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, notice that, then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. What was it that he was interested in? Was it the treasure that he hid in that field? Or was it the field? No, he knew he had to buy the field in order to get the treasure. You see, oftentimes in our lives, remember last week I told you the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And you remember that I told you that the kingdom of heaven lives in you? That we don't have to wait until heaven, the kingdom of heaven is now. Prepare yourself, get ready. It's time for the coming of the Lord. And that is an awaking reverberation that should meet a quivering in the hearts and minds of every person in this room. The kingdom of heaven, the return of Jesus Christ is at hand. If we believe that, then we have to do more and we have to do it more expediently. So this man found the treasure and he hid it. And here's what happened. He realized there was a joy that he had in him when he found that treasure. Now let me share with you. Uh, a number of years ago, this, this of course was in the paper, there was a a guy who was interested in antiques, and uh, he went in this antique shop in San Francisco and uh, is looking around, nothing more than just junk in the antique store. How many of you are antiquers? You like to go and you shop. Go ahead and get your hands up. Okay. How many could care less about antiquers? Okay. There you are. Some of you, would, you know, anyway. Well, he went in and he was about to leave. And when he was walking out the door, he saw this cat at the front entrance of the old man's antique shop. He looked at the cat, and then he took a double take. He thought, whoa, because that cat was drinking milk from a saucer. And that saucer, he, he immediately recognized it as a saucer from the Ming Dynasty in China. He knew very few people have the amount of money to buy that saucer of the Ming Dynasty from China. But he thought, what yet I'm going to do? Apparently, this antique owner of the shop doesn't know what he has and what the cat's drinking out of. So he thinks, okay. Hey, uh, he said, uh, you know, that's, that's a beautiful cat you have there. He said, uh, would you be interested in selling that cat? And the antique owner said, I, I don't think so. He says, a family cat. We love our cat. And uh, we just, our kid, my kids love the cat. And my grandkids, they, they love the cat. He said, well, how about I, I give you $250 for the cat? And the antique owner said, well, $250? Yes, sir. He said, well, in that case, he said, you, you bought yourself a cat. He said, give me, give me the $250. And the man reached in his pocket and gave him $250. And he said, oh, by the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need something for the cat to drink out of. I'll tell you what, why don't I throw in another $10 and uh, I'll take that saucer right there. And the antique owner of the shop said, oh, no. He said, I can't do that. He said, you know, that saucer is a part of the Ming Dynasty in China. <laughs> he said, oh, really? He said, Absolutely. 
You know, he was hoping that 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 antique shop owner wouldn't realize how valuable that saucer was, but he did. And he said, so you're, you're, not, willing to, you're not willing to say, he said, you know I'm not going to sell that to you. He said, it, it just kind of came into my possession by accident. And he said, no way, I figured out, I know how much that saucer's worth. He said, you know, it's a strange thing, sir. He said, you bought the cat for $250. He said, ever since I put that saucer out there and let my cat drink, we've sold 10 cats. He said, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Ten cats. <laughs> Ten cats. Sometimes you have value in things that you don't understand it. So here it is. How important is your relationship with Jesus Christ? How valuable is it to you to be able to say, I have my redemption and it's found in Jesus Christ? I know who I'm, I have believed in and I'm persuaded that, that God loved me enough that no matter what happens in my life, when I breathe my last breath, I'm going to go to heaven. The three men you saw on the screen did not have that hope until you, the Dream Center, reached out and touched them and began Bible studies and, and ministered into their lives and fed them the Word of God until they came to the conclusion and the realization, wow, this thing called salvation and redemption really does have value. But it says in the person who bought the field, in his joy, in his joy, when he came to the realization of actually what he had in his joy, it says when he hid it and when he actually bought that field, he thought, well, what now do I have in my possession? And what he meant was, is serving God and receiving salvation is not labor. It's not activities you got to do. Three back flips and several somersaults and 900 push-ups. No, just believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it says, and the joy is there. And this is what Jesus said. Okay, you then deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Mark 8, 34, here's what he says. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And then he continued. He said, Here's a value. If you want to save your life, you got to lose it. And if you want to lose your life for the sake of the gospel, then you're going to find it. For what does it profit a man? <clears throat> what does it profit a man? To gain the world, to gain prestige, name recognition, to gain wealth, to gain a comfortable family, to gain a nice, pleasant home, to gain a good reputation. What does it matter if you don't have the true treasure? What does it matter if you have the treasure and you don't respect the treasure or understand the value of that treasure? You see, we know that society abuses what it does not value. We do not value life anymore like we used to with euthanasia and abortions and those kind of things. And when we fail to value life, who's next on the list that we can get rid of or annihilate? Hitler did not value Jews or life. He got rid of millions of them culture, if it's not interrupted with a group of people called the church of Jesus Christ, the value of life, and unless we under, misunderstand the fact of what it means to, to have redemption in our life, the greatest treasure we have is to say, Lord, you are my Lord and my Savior. I want to be a student of who you are. If I were to say to you, you know, a few questions and ask these questions to you.
what, what it would be like. And, and to do that, you have to make a choice and you have to make a decision. How many of you know somebody that it's hard for them to make a decision on anything? I mean, just I, they can't make a decision. Go out to dinner. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Well, let's go to McDonald's. No, I don't want to go there. Well, you really do care. It drives, it drives people nuts. <laughs> Almost said me nuts. I have a sister-in-law. You can't get anything out of her when it comes to saying, where would you like to eat? I don't care. And then you know what they say? It doesn't matter. You ask us. You've got to go where you want to go anyway. It's not true. The reality is, if I said, how many of you would like to have and be in ideal physical condition? I mean, you just ripped. How many like, like that? I want to be in ideal physical condition. That's right. I mean, that means you go to your medicine cabinet and you take all the medicine and you throw it in the garbage and said, I don't need another pill. I am in perfect shape. There are very few of us who can say that. Well, that wasn't supposed to be a funny moment. Well, here's something else. How many, how many of you would like to be able to run a marathon? Huh? Run a marathon. Sure. Starts out walking. Well, here's something else. How many of you would like to have enough finances that you're out of debt, you have no bills, and that you're in perfect financial order, your retirement nest is already created, and you're there? How many of you would like that? May I see your hand? There you go. Got a few more hands. How many of you like a good night's sleep? Wake up without getting up six times a night. So I slept all night long. How would that be? <laughs> six times a night? Wow. That's a lot. How many of you would like to wake up rested? So after you even got up two or three times, you woke up, you didn't hurt all over, and your body didn't creak. How many like to have that? Hello? How many like to lay down beside a bed where the man didn't snore all night long? Oh, Lord. If you're going to run, if you're going to run a marathon, listen to me now, you have to make whatever it is you want, you have to make an irrevocable decision that no matter what else happens in your life, that you're going to do whatever you say you're going to do. And you're going to say, I'm going to run a marathon. You know what that means? That all other decisions in your life that relates to you and running that marathon all the other decisions have to bow to that one decision. I'm going to run a marathon. You know what that means? Cheeseburgers? Goodbye. You know what that means? A McDonald's fries? Goodbye. You know what that means? A 14-ounce porterhouse? Goodbye. You know what that means? Baked potato with sour cream and onion and salt and pepper? Goodbye. I can't. You know what that means? Macaroni and cheese? Goodbye. You, 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 you know what that means? Biscuit and gravy? Goodbye. Do you know what that means? Two eggs over light with grits and espresso? Oh, goodbye. I can't do it. Why? It doesn't play into running the marathon. And you can't have fudge day. Well, it's Saturday. It's my fudge day. Not if you're going to run that marathon. You're, you're leaning that body up, you're getting, and you're running. All other decisions have to play to that. So here's where it's at. It has to be that unconditional commitment. To decide comes from a Latin word with two roots. Here it is. One means from, and the other means cut. So to decide, I'm going to run a marathon, a major decision, it means something means that you've got to cut yourself off from the alternative. 
So my decision is, whatever my decisions are in life, it plays to me doing that. Now, here it is. Jesus is saying, God's Word said, hey, my problem with society is not, not, whether, you're, not whether or not you're going to fall away. He said, the problem is, is you decide to compromise. You want to be able to run the marathon and expect to do whatever it is you want to and then be in shape enough to be able to run the marathon. He said, I'd rather you be, I'd rather you be, rather than be lukewarm, I'd rather you be hot or be cold rather than being lukewarm and make a decision that you don't stand by it. So he says, how about your lifestyle? How about your behavior? How about the way you're living? How about who's first in your life? How valuable is that? And we understand it takes an unconditional commitment, don't you think? So what are you committed to? You're committed to Jesus Christ and am crucified. What kind of behavior does that mean? Does that mean, hey, I think I'll skip church three weeks? Who are you committed to? Well, does that mean that anytime anything else comes up, who are you committed to? Does that mean the first time you want to rant and rave and, and use all kinds? Of, who are you committed to? Then, then you want to beat up on somebody? Who are you committed to? Have you made the kind of commitment that says, God, heaven or hell or high water, I am committed to one thing, and that is serving Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. That's my commitment. All other decisions in my life. Here's something I think is important. It's a book called Laszlo, Laszlo Letters. How many read that book? You can get it, you can get it at Walmart, you can get it, Books a Million and any other, Laszlo, Laszlo Letters. And it's a, it's a combination of letters that individuals have written to major companies, organizations, presidents, uh, leaders, et cetera, et cetera, politicians, famous people, et cetera. But here's one that was written to the Mars Candy how many of you know that one of the most popular candies for Mars Candy Company, how many know what it is? M&M's. M&M's. Now, so this guy writes this letter. Pay close attention to the president of Mars Candy Company. Dear Mr. President, with pain in my fingers, I type this letter. I have enjoyed your candy for years, with or without nuts, and always thought of you as the General Motors of the candy world, but I had a shock, I'll say, this afternoon. I couldn't believe it when I looked down in my hand and saw the enclosed, deformed M&M. For as long as I could remember, I never saw anything but perfect M&Ms. By the way, let me tell you that the Mars Candy Company produces 400 or 400 million, say it with me, 400 million M&Ms every day. 400 million M&Ms every day. So this guy writes a letter because he found one deformed M&M his whole life. And he sends it enclosed in this letter. As long as I could remember, I never saw anything but perfect M&Ms. He said, what is this country coming to? It may just 
a little piece of candy, but it means so much more. It is another sign that America the beautiful is losing status. What if a pack of M&Ms was exported, and how would it look to foreigners? And, and if the Russians saw it, they'd probably attack. He said, it makes me ashamed to be an American. He said, I'm glad Hoover isn't a still alive to see this. We must stop this type of thing from happening. It's just a little piece of candy. It's a bad attitude for the leading country in the world to have. Find out who's responsible for this and fire them. Make an example. If you don't, a year from now, whole packs will look like they were made by the Jutes family and not by yours. Family pride, keep old glory flying. Oh, say to those perfect M&Ms, keep coming in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Play ball, stand up for our president, yours truly, Laszlo Toth. Enclose one deformed M&M. Would you answer that? Would you waste your stationery? But now, if you've got a commitment, a commitment that every M&M, 400 million a day, is going to be perfect, you're going to write him back. I'm going to sift these are. Those are perfect. Those are perfect. All these in this pack, this pack I just opened, are perfect. And they respond. In July the 29th, 1974. He gets a response from the Mars Corporation. Dear Mr. Toth, we regret that one of our M&Ms you recently received was imperfect. Our president has asked me to reply to you. Our products are processed and handled by the most modern methods known to the industry. We subject them to both mechanical and visual inspections and take precautions to assure that they leave our plant in perfect condition. In the case of the improperly molded product you received, our efforts at perfection apparently failed. We appreciate you bringing this matter to our attention, and I want you to know that our quality assurance staff will intensify its efforts to maintain perfection in our products. We are sending you some chocolate, which we hope will serve to restore your faith in our products. And if this chocolate is damaged in the mail, please inform us so we can try again very truly yours. It's amazing. These people sent him a whole package of their products. What was it? They wanted to be certain because Mars 
candy company and their M&Ms are so committed to perfection that everyone shall be the same. 1.4 is the weight load, shall be the same, 400 million a day, that this nut that wrote that letter, they said, we will even respond to them because our team is told we send nothing else other than our best, absolutely committed to our product, and that's just the way it is. And here's what Jesus is saying to us. Hey, I want you to deny yourself. I want you to be a true blue believer. I don't want anything that's deformed, anything that's tainted. I don't want anything in your life that takes you away from me. I want you to stand up and be a Christian and be proud of what the joy that you have and the treasure that's in your heart. I gave my son, God said, so that you could have redemption. And that redemption is perfect in every way. And now it's your ticket to get you into heaven and hear the heavenly father say, well done. How do you treat that kind of gift? I treat it with respect. I treat it with value. I treat it with honor. Amen? I eat when I get under stress. The hand clap should have been a lot better. I'm feeling better now. Here's a question. Do you have the same kind of commitment for the declaration of the gospel? Do we have the same kind of commitment about who we are and who Jesus is to us? Are we the kind of believer and the kind of follower where Jesus is proud? And we understand. Let me give you three things that you might pay attention to. And I think it's absolutely important. The one thing, if you're going to have that kind of commitment, you're going to have to cut yourself off from excuses. How many like people that every time you turn around, they're given another excuse? Oh, my, my, my. Here's what he says. We have to understand we must cut ourselves off from the excuses. And it's found in Luke's gospel, the 14th chapter, verses 15, 16, and 17. Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and many guests were invited, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited to come, for everything is now ready. Luke 14, 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. They all alike. Do you know one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to convict you when you start making excuses? God doesn't have any policemen in his kingdom. I don't mean that like police officers. I mean this, where people go around. Preaching of the word, it's the word of God that's preached. It opens the door for an opportunity to be convicted and say, you know what? I love you enough to convict you. But sooner or later, we have to get to the place and say, what is it 
that's causing you not to boil at 212 degrees. He said, you got to be careful. Well, let's look at it. I bought a piece of land. I bought a piece of land and I need to go look at the land. I bought oxen. I need to go look at the oxen. Another guy says, I got married. I have a honeymoon. I need to look at that. And you say, okay, what is your ultimate goal? In other words, if you're going to run a marathon, you're going to have to say all of the decisions in my life that relate to me in running that marathon, they have to bow because I made a decision that whatever I need to do to run that marathon successfully, that's what I'm going to do. And that's all Jesus is asking of us. If you're going to be a follower, let all the other temptations of the world fall down to that. Be a better man. Be a better woman. Someone has stated, people fail in direct proportion to their willingness to accept socially acceptable excuses for failure. Jesus said, if anyone wants to enter my kingdom, he needs to follow me. Number two, we need to cut ourselves off from double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. And what does that mean? You see, there are many people today, double-mindedness, many people today, if I mention their names, for example, they're known for something. If I say to you, Mark Zuckerberg, what would you say? Facebook. If I say Bill Gates, what would you say? Microsoft. Mark Zuckerberg's got more money than ever imagined, but he is a noted atheist. He's also colorblind. He has no idea of the gift or the price of salvation and redemption. And all the money that he has cannot buy nor can it heal his colorblindness. But if he found, just think, if someone could get to him with that valued treasure and say, here, this is what you're missing And unless someone around him reveals to him what that treasure is, he probably will never find it. But that is the job and the responsibility of, of the church of Jesus Christ and those of us that are followers. Let me, let me, how many of you ever heard of the movie City Slickers? May I see your hand? I've seen it, and I'm not recommending it, but I've seen it. And I'm using it for sermon message material today. So Billy Crystal, how many remember him? Billy Crystal's in the movie City Slickers. Now Billy and a couple of his friends are fed up with life. They've had enough. They're in professions and their professions eating their lunch. They have no family life. Anytime they're running to and fro, moving kids here, moving kids there, working late, trying to make, trying to climb the corporate ladder. And finally, they just get to the place, and one of them, of course, his wife just got fed up and left him, and they decide to get inside that they're going to they're gonna go out, and they're going to be in the West, and they're going to do some things that they've never done before, and get that relief that's there. I, I just got to get relief here. So it's Billy Crystal and Jack Palance, and they're on a horse riding. And Billy Crystal's telling Jack Palance, who doesn't have personality of a rock, all his problems. And Jack Palace looks at Billy Crystal and he said, do you want to know the secret of life? Billy Crystal said, yes. Jack Palance held up his finger. Billy Crystal said, the secret of life is your finger? No, 
one thing. It's one thing. It's one thing. It's one thing. The secret of life is to choose one thing and build your life around that one thing. Not a whole bunch of things. You see, here's the thing. Jesus said what Jack Palance couldn't say because he didn't know. It's simply James 1, 6, 7, and 8. But when he asked, he must believe, and no doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in everything that he does. And there are many people in our world today that fits the cap. But you know what Jesus said? Here's the one thing. Matthew 6, 33. The one thing, the one marathon, the one decision, seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything that you need to bring pleasure to you if you find that treasure. And it's in your relationship with Jesus. Most miserable person in the world is to have a little dab of Jesus and a little dab of everything else. And you know why that is? Because your spirit man will reject everything else in your life. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? That's not a diner. It's a true story in Scripture. Jesus was there. Martha's getting ready for the big feast, the meal. Got company that's coming, and she's stirring around, cleaning the house and getting the meal ready. And she goes, and she wants to know of Jesus. Hey, Mary's there washing the feet of Jesus, anointing him. And Martha said, why isn't she up helping me? And Jesus rebuked her. He said, let me tell you something, Martha. Mary has chosen the better part that will not be taken away from her. And what he's saying is this. You can get in the hustle and bustle of life, and you can get in all the activities, but the most important thing that you must protect the most is your relationship with Jesus. Am I sure is he number one? The third thing is teach you to cut yourself off from rival authorities. You know the devil's got a loud voice. And did you know he's got a sweet and tender voice? And we find in Luke 14, 25, large crowds were traveling with him and he turned and said to them, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. What? If I'm going to make Jesus number one and follow him, does that mean I have to hate my mom and dad? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, there can only be number one, only one number one. And sometimes when you make, that's number one. All the other temptations and decisions and voices in your life take second place. Jesus, you are number one. Your church is number one. I, can't, I hate it when you say that. Well, I can't, I can't help you. Jesus and the bride of Christ are one. It's his church. You're number one. So what he's saying is, if you make him number one, 
Guess who Jesus is concerned about? He's concerned about your business and your family and your children and your grandchildren. He cares about them. For if you seek him first, all the other things in your life will make sense. So what we're saying is the Jesus kind of life is a life that's absolutely committed, committed hook, line, and sinker. And that when we make decisions that violate Scripture, even the authorities and voices of culture will tell you, but this is what you need to do. And in the deep of your heart, you know that's not scriptural. You better rethink it. You better come up with a different answer because the result, you're not going to like it. As you honor him, as the Mars Candy Company say, we produce 400 million M&Ms every day and we make certain mechanically and visually that not one goes out imperfect if that's their commitment to perfection of eminems how much more should my commitment to a perfect god be and you have made that commitment to the dream center and to help the lives many of whom cannot help themselves but that's who Jesus is in our lives. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. We pause and we praise you. We, we ask you for divine revelation truth. I pray in this service, I pray you speak to hearts and lives. I pray that you would guide us. Father, conviction is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit to identify a need in our life that you want to fix. And so conviction is in this room. Condemnation is of the enemy. He came not to condemn the world, but to redeem the world, to seek and to save those who couldn't figure it out on their own. I pray now that for those who may not be followers, I pray your conviction would be there. I pray for those of us who are Jesus followers, and we say it. Let us, let us live in a way that brings pleasure to you, that we honor you. Let us ask for forgiveness and ask you to guide us. And Lord, let us be willing not to have any other gods before you, that you are number one, and that every time we have the temptation to try to compromise let us be able to rebuke that and say, I don't have to. I made a decision of how I'm going to live. And it's Jesus Christ, number one, and him crucified in my life. So to cover all those bases, I'm going to ask everyone to let's repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I, have sinned, I have sinned. And I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. Come into my heart. I freely admit I am imperfect, but in you, you are perfecting me every day. My desire is to follow you. My desire is to be strong enough to make the right decisions. I believe by faith you will help me in my weakness so that I will follow you in faith and believe that it is not by might, it is not by power, but it is by your spirit. I believe, Heavenly Father, you work all things for my good. So I'm trusting you 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Put your hands together and let's just thank the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated? I want to ask the ushers to come. I hope by now that you've had an opportunity to complete the card. I believe everybody can do something. I'm going to give the benediction, so I'm going to ask you to stay with me. Complete the card. Do something. Would you do that? I also want to encourage you to make a visit down to the Dream Center. I noticed that about one-fifth of you stood when they asked how many of you have ever worked at the Dream Center. One-fifth of you stood. You know what that means? That's wonderful news. That means four-fifths is yet to receive that wonderful opportunity. How sweet is that? You see, a good leader and a person that's moving forward, you don't count the negatives. You look at the positive in everything. By God's grace, glass is not half empty, half full. We trust God with that, don't we? So would you make some kind of a commitment? You've had an opportunity to fill the card out. Make a one-time commitment there. Say $100 a month or $25. You heard me say that a while ago. I just gave you time to be able to do it. So right now, Father, as we receive our tithe and our offerings, I pray that you would bless and bless the Dream Center, Mike Cooper, and protect them. Pray for Lakeland's law enforcement officers and the county law enforcement officers. We thank you, God, that we have the privilege to be the givers. How wonderful is that? To be able to give to something that was born out of our heart out of our church and is now impacting literally thousands of lives. I pray as we receive this tithe and this offering, and then I pray special favor on the individuals who are completing the cards. God, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to show up for them in a very crucial situation. I'm asking you, if they're filling a card out and turning it in, that when their back is against the wall, I'm asking you to intervene. And then they will remember that they took a step of faith in making a commitment today that will honor those that are hurting inside out and who have not even came close to finding the treasure that's found in you. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Stand to your feet this morning. And all the same.
We believe in the power of prayer and we want to open the altars up because we know that some of you have a need.
And the Bible tells us that we bring that need to the Lord, and symbolically we believe that we bring it to the altar. These people are here to pray with you. I've known of many, many miracles because people were obedient, just followed God. Always remember this, that any voice that speaks into your mind when you're trying to make a decision as to what to do, and you know that the invitation is relating to God, then that voice came straight from hell. It didn't come from your intellect, didn't come from your mom, it came from an influence of darkness. And when the devil will speak to keep you from doing what you know in your heart you need to do, there must be a reason that he thinks he ought to speak up. You need a miracle and it'll come out of obedience. So if you wanna come, I'll give the benediction in just a moment. And those of you need to come, you come now. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far couple of others of your leaders, you come down and help us, please. Father, we sense a wonderful spirit in the house today. This is the house of miracles. This is a place, God, where they're nurtured and where they're seated. We've heard your word, and your word has been alive and well. We pray now as we prepare to leave that this spirit within us will not subside. This spirit within us that encourages us and strengthens us and nurtures us and we walk out of the building you are not confined to this building holy spirit in the name of the lord go with us be with us and meet the need of every person and then god bring us back tonight safely in your name amen now let me say this we have the service tonight partners love and forgiveness those two but then when it's over i can tell you what we've done we fixed about 1500 these strawberries these strawberries were freshly cut. They're the best of the S with strawberry shortcake. So if you want to come and give two liver lips about the message, how dare you? <laughs> then you can have strawberry shortcake, okay? 
see you come on and bring a friend. So the reason we do it is fellowship, okay? We can save a lot of money, say forget the fellowship, but if we're gonna do it, less fellowship. And behave when you leave the parking lot, okay? God bless. <laughs>